stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. We think there is value to the government of Alberta uh, stepping in to play a role. And at the same time, uh, we need to have a a broad, open process where we uh, consider the best options possible. Okay, so that's a little vague, but you can read between the lines, I think. When the Alberta government talks about stepping in to play a role in the building of a new refinery, that, that sounds like a considerable government contribution to such a project. Now, if we're talking about building something profitable, maybe it is an investment that could pay off for the Alberta government. But there's a lot of inherent risk. So the Alberta government certainly taking a swing for the fences here in soliciting interest in building a new refinery. But is there an economic case for such a mega project? Joining us on the line for his thoughts is Andrew Leach, uh, an energy and environmental economist, also an associate professor at the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. Uh, Dr. Leach, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. It's Groundhog Day. <laughs> Feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, okay, let's say we could, uh, you know, snap our fingers, wave a magic wand, and all of a sudden tomorrow we've got a nice brand new shiny uh, refinery that, that it's up and running. Given the price differential right now, uh, what's affecting Western Canadian Select, would such a refinery be profitable? Absolutely. Without question, at the differentials we see today, it's it's going to be, unless you spent a, a fortune on building it. Uh, but even there, you'd be hard-pressed to spend enough to make a refinery not be profitable at the types of differentials we've seen over the last month. But of course, in reality, building a refinery is, uh, as you say, an, an expensive process, but it's also a, a long process, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's it's something which would be completed on the timelines of, you know, we're talking for the major pipeline projects, et cetera, multiple years, certainly, of, of design, permitting, um, and construction. So, you know, five years would be a pretty good uh, benchmark. I think we're, what are we, five premiers from the last time we had uh, yeah. Alberta <laughs> government engage in subsidizing refining? Or about to be five premiers, perhaps? Yes, yes. Well, look, I mean, the, the other side of it is, I mean, ahead of this announcement today, there was nothing stopping any company from proposing a project, was there? No, and and I think that's that's always part of the, the filter I think I think you need here is what's the role for government involvement? What's the you know, as economists we call it market failure, but what's the what's the problem the government is solving by its engagement in this? And if, if the government is coming in and solving the problem that companies don't feel there's enough return in this, the government's involvement in and of itself isn't going to change the return of the project that much. It will change the cost of capital a little bit, potentially low, uh, add some security, those types of things which we saw with Northwest. But it, it doesn't really change the fundamental business proposition. What are the risks inherent then in these kinds of maker projects? Uh, well, I think the first risk and, and the one that we've seen with you know, your, your listeners are probably familiar with the Northwest Redwater Project, which was the the only project that came out of Premier Stelmach's what was then called the Bitchman Royalty and Kind Program. And that project was underwritten by a government guarantee of payment for refining bitumen. So it wasn't really a government subsidy to build a refinery per se. It was a government guarantee of a contract for refining at rates which would allow the, the facility to make money. And that facility started, and the initial contract had 
protections for the government that they didn't have to pay anything if the cost went over $5 billion. They didn't cover any cost overrun. So typical public-private partnership where you let the private party bear the, the risks of cost overruns. The government, though, was, was bearing all the risks on the value of bitumen versus the value of the refined product. So if the refinery was not profitable in terms of the, the increased value of the products it produced, that was a government risk. What happened since that project was launched is that the cost of the project ballooned to almost $10 billion dollars. And the government rewrote the agreement, allowing the project proponent to recover those now much more elevated costs. So they've increased the cost to taxpayers of that refinery and so taken on some of that cost overrun risk as well. Um, and they've still left some of the upside in the refined product market to the, the project proponent. So I think that the risks are the once you make this such a political objective, we need more refining then you're sort of beholden to get this project built. And I think that's the, the issue that the previous government got themselves into with Northwest. And then you know, the, the NDP government, when they first came to office, were faced with further uh, challenges to, to bring this project to, to life. So in all likelihood, we'd be redoing that kind of a project. What, what other kind of arrangement might, might there be? Um, well, the government has posted their, their terms of reference for the expression of interest. They haven't really gotten into, unless I'm missing it, a whole lot of detail as to how the project would be, what the structure of the, the project would be. Uh, they, they certainly ask for a lot of economic analysis, and, and they ask the questions that you're asking. So describe the form and manner of risks and costs and benefit sharing between the project um, proponent and the government, and how and they, they're asking people to suggest the structures for government involvement. So then the, the committee will, I guess, look at that and, and try to judge, okay, here's what the different proponents are asking for, here's what they're offering, which of these are, are a good deal to, to Alberta. So it's a little different in that regard from either the wind power procurement, which was very structured in, in what the government was asking for, or even the um, propane um, PDP program, which, again, had a pretty clear royalty credit structure to it. Now, if we're going to refine more product here, we still need to move that. Um, you know, that, that gets us back into the conversation about pipelines, but does it, does it change the conversation? It changes it a bit. Uh, so if you're, you know, one of the, the issues with moving bitumen is that you're needing to dilute it. So you're, for every barrel of bitumen you produce, you have to ship about one and a half barrels of product out. Uh, and the diluents that we use, we don't produce enough here to, to meet our demand domestically, so we end up importing those diluents. So if you think of total, to ship a, um, to ship a barrel of bitumen out, you need about half a barrel of pipeline capacity coming in for the diluents and one and a half um, barrels of pipeline capacity going out for the diluted bitumen. So the more you refine, the more you reduce that volume, you can actually have an impact on the total pipeline demand that we would need. But as you say, shipping out refined products uh, does present some, some other challenges for our, our networks. Politically, maybe it's different, at least if we take uh, opponents of, of Trans Mountain or, or Keystone XL at their word, that it's, it's all about bitumen, that they would have less objection to moving other products. Yeah, I've already suggested we should invite Elizabeth May to the ribbon cutting for the new <laughs> refinery. Right. 
Um, and, and I think that's, you know, something that you've seen and, and I've always felt was a little bit of a false, um, a false position. Oh, you know, we'd be fine with it if only it was refined, where I think a lot of people expect that the, the refined, the refined product is not a likely thing to happen. And if it were to happen, we'll come up with a set of objections to it at that point. But, uh, you know, it certainly does change the spill risk. It changes the cleanup. So there would be some bits and pieces to it that are important. Now, there may be a writing aside. Um, a few people have, have sent me uh, articles about Are you familiar with the Alberta First Nations Energy Center, this project that was proposed and scuttled in 2012, but apparently there's some revived interest in this. It's a First yeah. Nations-led. Now, it may, maybe this is the kind of thing that's, you know, it's ready-made for whatever it is the Alberta government is is considering. But uh, there are at least companies that have envisioned the possibility of, of new refining capacity. Absolutely. So the, the First Nations Energy Center was was the second of the projects that carried on quite a way through the government's process uh, during Premier Stelmack's time in office. And so it had that interesting dynamic that it was a First Nations partnership. It was a larger project than uh, Northwest, but they were never able to come to a similar agreement with the government that would have got them to um, to get that project underway. So I'm sure they'll they'll be in the mix. Uh, the Northwest refinery had been initially planned as a three-phase project. They recently announced that they weren't going to go ahead with the second phase. Now, you know, maybe I'll put my tinfoil hat on a bit, but, of course, the one of the requirements in the new program is that a project can't have had a successful final investment decision yet to be funded or to be eligible under this new program. So I'd be very surprised if we didn't see a second phase of Northwest as a proposal yeah. within this program as well. Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. Well, Andrew, we certainly appreciate your insight on this. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Thanks for giving me a call. All right, take care. That is Andrew Leach, environmental and uh, energy economist at the University of Alberta, associate professor at the U of A's Alberta School of Business. As he says, it really must feel like Groundhog Day to him because we've been having these conversations for a long, long time. Refinery enthusiasts get excited about diversification, and then the economists kind of come along and throw some cold water on that, say, hang on a second here. There's a lot of risk involved in this. You can't ignore the fact that there is excess refinery capacity elsewhere in North America and around the world for that matter. And there are thin profit margins. We're taking a big gamble by building this. If we're building it on the assumption that today's price differential is going to be tomorrow's price differential, that it's going to be the case five, ten years out, that's a risky, risky gamble. Ultimately, our goal is to fetch a higher price. And if we're banking on a lower price to ensure that our refinery investments are profitable, then we're operating across purposes here, are we not? Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.